my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but as I give. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. This beautiful saying from Jesus is a reminder that we can experience peace no matter how tumultuous life itself might be for us. As you may have heard, this week we begin the season of Lent with Ash Wednesday. There will be a beautiful candlelight service in Grace Hall on our, our campus at First Community North. On that day, I'm also going to begin something. Normally in the season of Lent, we think of people giving up something for, for Lent. You know, maybe you've done this in the past, give up chocolate or, or alcohol or sweets, that sort of thing. One year, a few years ago, I gave up sweets, no cookies, no donuts, no candy throughout the entire season of Lent. When the season was over, my wife and my children and my coworkers all said, don't ever do that again. It was a bit of a crank. So this year, I'm going to take on something. This year, I'm going to put these words of Jesus in my computer so that every day when I open it up to do my work, there will be the saying, peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. We're off to a tremendous start here at First Community. The first two months have, been, have seen increased attendance in all of our worship services. We've seen many new things happen. We're, we're getting ready for a strategic plan that's about to start in, in, the, in the month of March. All sorts of things are happening. We're going to celebrate the new space at First Community North in a couple of months as well. And yet, despite all of that, I've, I've felt a little bit just caught up in a whirlwind and not at peace myself. And when I was working on the text this week and working on this sermon, I, I, I said out loud at some point, I need this peace. Now normally what I do is I, I try to blame the culture or I blame the 24-hour news cycle or I blame social media and getting caught up in things on Facebook or Twitter and that sort of thing, but I, I realized it's really a call from Jesus in this text to allow his words, his teaching to guide us. So no matter how busy and, and cluttered my life might feel, no matter how much the, the world comes rushing at me across cable news and all the rest, I promise, or at least I'm going to try, every day to begin in quiet with a prayer for peace, with the words of Jesus. Now, I, I know it's easier said than done. I may tell you by next Sunday that I already fell, fell flat on my face on, on this new, new taking up. But still, that voice calls us. Did you hear the, the word, the voice in the transfiguration story? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. My beloved, listen to him. I'll, uh, I'll take that up this year, this season for Lent. But as I said, it's, sometimes it's just too hard. Sometimes it's difficult to rise above the noise, as Brene Brown says, to get out of the mess of our lives and all, all the rest. And too often we, we hear things that aren't necessarily true, but we take them personally. She tells a story, Brene Brown does, about the time she was going to take on too much in her life. It was a month of February, and she was looking at September, and she decided that by, by the time she gets to September, she was going to do a book tour, launch a new company, and have this major event where she would train 1,500 business leaders from around the country in her style of leadership. 
She shared this with her husband and her team. All of them came back to her and said, that's too much. You can't do that much all at once. And she kind of smiles, at least in her book, she smiles a little bit when she says, I had a secret plan that I didn't tell any of them. I was going to become an instructor level person in Pilates and I was going to take up half marathons. And in doing all that, I'd find all this extra 10 times more energy than I really even need right at the moment. She said at the time, I thought it would be easy. By the time she gets to August, it's just difficult, difficult, difficult. One day in August, her husband comes home. She's taken over. She's commandeered the dining room. She has all these ideas for her book tour and her lectures and all the rest, all stuck up on sticky notes all around the wall. The dining room table is covered with her books, with other books, with research, papers. Every inch of the table is completely covered. It's 6.30. Her husband comes in, walks right past her. She's feeling vulnerable and afraid, and she's about to break down and, and just become a mess. He goes right on through into the kitchen, opens the kitchen door and says, not one stinking piece of lunch meat. Now, when she tells this story in her workshops, she asks the women in the room, what would you have said in that moment? What would you have done? If somebody says, it's always the woman's fault, and another woman said, go buy your own lunch meat, you dummy. Another one said, I'd just leave them right there. Well, what she did was she followed him into the kitchen, and, and she said, you know, I don't know what's going on with you, but you could get in that big truck of yours out in the parking lot, in the driveway, and you could just drive about a mile and a half to the grocery store, and you could buy your own stinking lunch meat. <clears throat> He's been the grocery shopper. He's been the cook. And so he turns to her and he says, what's 30 times 365? Now she's really upset. I don't know. What is the answer to that question? He says, I don't know, but it's the big number is the total number of days that dinner has not been waiting for me when I came walking in. It's the total number of times I've never had dinner. In fact, if you had dinner ready and set to go on the table when I came walking in, I'd think either someone is sick or you're about to leave me. They laughed just a little. And then, then she said, I just, the story I'm telling myself when I heard you say there's no lunch meat, I took it as a criticism of me. I took it as you were attacking me because right now I'm feeling like a terrible leader. I'm feeling like a terrible mother and a terrible wife. Uh, that's, that's the story I'm saying right now. He took a breath. He said, look, we'll work this out together. I'll go get some Chick-fil-A. We'll sit down. We'll have a little dinner and we'll talk. She said, okay, but before you do, what was the comment about no lunch meat? Was that a critique of me? And he said, oh, not at all. I missed my lunch hour. I had a client run late. I just wanted to find a piece of ham and make a quick fold-over ham sandwich. That's, that's all I wanted. It wasn't about you at all. Do you see how sometimes when we get stuck in the noise, either the noise of the culture or a combination of the noise of the culture and the noise inside our own, our own minds, our own thoughts, we start to think it's all about us. Dr. Brown says... Oftentimes, it's our own ego that gets caught up in thinking that everything said is about us, when in reality, most of the time, it's usually somebody else dealing with another issue. I, I shared this story with, with my wife earlier this week when I was getting ready for, for this, this sermon, and when I got to the end of it, I said, isn't that a great story? She said, yeah, and, and you know, we do that to each other all the time. I said, what are you talking about? No, no, we don't. She said, yes, we do, both of us. You do it. You hear me say something, and you think I meant something else, and I hear you say something, and I think you meant something else. We do it all the time. And I said, well, maybe you do. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I heard some groans over here. I was in trouble for a couple of days after that, for, for sure. Yes, it's true. We do that, and I suspect, I suspect, most of us in this room have a story of a time at work, at school, church, home, where what you heard was your own stuff getting in the way of what was actually being said. That's why this teaching from Jesus is so important, why it's so necessary and so clear. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but as I give. Let not your hearts, do you hear this word? Let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid. My peace. It's a clear word. It's a word that I oftentimes share in, in funerals, especially when there's been a tragic death, especially when it's come out of nowhere. I want the congregation to hear words of peace. Fred Craddock, the great theologian, says that this promise from Jesus is the understanding that God is God no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter our gains or our losses, God is still God and God's peace is still a gift given to the world, a reminder that God's love comes with nothing attached but an open welcome. Now, I, I know that's kind of a, a preacherish thing to say, but, but stay here for a moment. When does Jesus say these words to his disciples? Are they on a mountaintop retreat as we heard in the transfiguration story? No. Are they by the Sea of Galilee enjoying a quiet meal of fish as Jesus gives a beautiful teaching? No. Soon, soon he will be betrayed, arrested, tortured, crucified. Somehow he knows it, too. I, I don't know how, but somehow he knows. It's in that moment of fear and terror, of worry and anxiety, when this teaching is given, my peace I give to you. It's the promise that no matter how difficult things might be, God's peace is always available to us. And then at the end of the reading, I hope you heard this, he says, kind of like Brene Brown says, rise up and let us go into the valley of the shadow. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 9, there's a story of Jesus finally determining and deciding that he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to go and face his detractors. He's going to go and face this difficult place. In fact, Luke says this, this marvelous phrase, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He comes to a village in Samaria, and there the Samaritans reject him. Now, a simplistic reading of that is, oh, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along very well. Uh, that might be there at a surface level, but at a deeper level, what's really happening is, I think they experience Jesus in this intense moment of going forward, knowing, knowing that he's got to face Jerusalem. He's got to face this difficult time in his life, and he's set, and he's moving, and oftentimes, people don't want to be around that. They're looking for comfort. They're looking for ease. They're looking for something simple or an easy way out, a get-out-of-trouble card, as it, as it might be, in the game of Monopoly or something like that. He's set. He's going. Every one of us, every one of us will have a Jerusalem, maybe more than one. 
Maybe that Jerusalem will be your own personal life and things that need to change. Maybe it'll be in your family. Maybe it'll be at work or even at church or in your neighborhood or your community. Every one of us will have a Jerusalem. And the question is, are we willing to allow ourselves to move forward confident in the peace that God promises, even though everything might be a swirling, chaotic, noisy mess? Can we rise above the noise and face it. Several years ago, I recall a conversation with a friend the day after he had celebrated his 50th, 50th wedding anniversary. We met for lunch, and, and I said, oh, it was so exciting yesterday to be there with you and your, your wife and celebrate all your family and 50 years of love, and uh, what's it like to have been married 50 years and, and in love with each other? And I was kind of energetic and hyper, like I always am, and he was... He was very quiet, expressionless on his face. And he said, there's been no love for decades. We haven't even had the energy to have a fight. No kind words, no mean words, just nothing. There's been no love forever. I wish he could hear the invitation to face Jerusalem. I wish he could have heard the words of Brene Brown who, who reminds us that, that, we have to, that you can choose comfort, you can choose courage, but you can't choose them both at the same time. I wish he'd had the courage to confront his wife, to admit his own need for, for love, for kindness, to don't need to have a fight once in a while to struggle over things that really matter. I wish, I wish he could have heard the words of of Rachel Held Evans, a beautiful theologian, a brilliant mind, her life taken too soon. She was only 37, just months ago. She wrote in her book, Inspired, inspiration comes not to the charmed, not by magic, not to those who are lucky, but to those who every day do the work they're called to do. Now she's writing about writing, but her words apply to our lives. Inspiration, life, hope, love, kindness, they come not while we sit back and hope they come at us in, as free gifts, but instead we find ourselves moving forward. I wish my friend had had the courage to go to Jerusalem with his wife instead of to live in fear and denial. I recall years ago when I was serving a church in, in Atlanta, Georgia, Julie and I were out with our friends Frank and, and Betty Jean. Frank and Betty Jean are about 35 years older than us. We were in our early 40s. They were in their, their mid-70s, and they just were energetic and full of life. There was a dance and, and dinner party that they were at. They danced the, the night away, and we finally were sitting down, a cup of coffee at the end of the celebration at the table, and Betty Jean just leans in. She's, she's from Alabama, and she's had this wonderful lilt in her voice. She said, Goliath. My name has three syllables in Alabama, apparently. Goliath, we just love the church right now. There are members at my church. Everything's so comfortable and calm and quiet. I got this big smile on my face. And she said, why are you smiling? I said, we're about to start a new vision process. We're about to dream about what God's calling us to next. And it's going to be intense and there's going to be some good work. But on the other side of it, our church is going to be better. And she let out this big sigh. And then she said, you know, I shouldn't be surprised. 
Our church was founded. She told me stuff I already knew, but she needed to say it out loud. Our church was founded in 1960 by a woman. There were no other churches founded in Georgia, probably not in the entire South, in 1960 by a woman. We were told we were sinners. We were told we were heretics. Somebody told me I was going to go to hell if I listened to a woman preach every week. We were told all kinds of terrible things, and yet in that adversity, we became a great and strong church, a vital one where everyone was welcome in the name of Jesus. Okay, okay. I'm ready. Let's go. And I just smiled and said, Betty Jean, that'll preach. That's the beauty of, of the promise. No matter how intense things might be in your life, in your house, in your heart, in your mind, in your neighborhood, or even in our country or our world, the presence of God is still there. Oh, one, one more story. It's in Genesis. It's the story of Jacob. He's cheated his brother, Esau. He's cheated him and tricked him. He's cheated and tricked everybody in his life. On the other side of the river one night, Esau and his men are waiting for Jacob, his brother. Behind Jacob is more trouble they didn't want to go back into. He's stuck between that proverbial rock and a hard place. And in the middle of the night, he wrestles with a man. And the way the story evolves, later he thinks he's wrestling with an angel. By the time he gets to the end, it turns out he's wrestling with God. And even though he's injured in the wrestle, he walks with this terrible limp in his hip for the rest of his life. That that limp, that injury is a reminder that he wrestled with God and he survived and now he can move forward and take on whatever's in front of him, even his brother. I wonder if you and I are ready to wrestle with God. If you and I are ready to take on whatever's happening in your house or mine or our church or our community, knowing that the promise, the promise at the end of the day, at the end of the night even, are those beautiful words of Jesus. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. My peace is as God gives. Amen.